Hello, everyone. This is Noah. And I'm Simon. And welcome to the Resolve Podcast. We're your resource for all things mental health, academic success, and personal growth. Devoted to helping students thrive and build the resilience to succeed in school and in life. We are live for another episode on the Resolve podcast. I'm very excited to be here. Today, I am with uh, somebody who I have personally had the pleasure of working with myself, uh, who helped me on my journey to becoming a psychotherapist and many other things on my journey. Her name is Jane Rendley. Hi, Jane. Hi, Noah. It's great to be here. And now, Jane, so what's cool is, for the most part, when you work with somebody, let's say you work with your, your therapist, people who are listening to, maybe you have a therapist, you can't really become a colleague with them. It's a little awkward. It's not necessarily professionally appropriate. But what's really amazing is that Jane, Jane, who she's going to talk about herself, is a career counselor and has been not only incredible for helping me with my career, but now that I'm in the field, has been an incredible colleague. Um, and has been able to set me up with peer support and all sorts of amazing things. And so uh, I met a little thing here for people is make sure to make a good network and get in touch with amazing people who know more than you and can help you along the way. Um, but thank you so much for coming on, Jane. Noah, it's my pleasure. What a beautiful introduction. And uh, it really is a great joy to have been your career counselor and educational counselor and now to be your colleague be a guest on your podcast. So we have been together and uh, I look forward to many years working together. Okay. So for sure. So tell us what is life like as a career counselor for you and what is career counseling? Okay. So I do career educational and employment counseling. My background is a master's in counseling psychology from McGill, which I am proud of because I received such good training including training to be a psychoed consultant. And so in the career counseling that I do and the educational planning I do, I focus a lot on people's learning styles and where they thrive. And I would guess my whole mission in the work that I do is to help people become the best they can be. And the mm-hmm. only way we can become the best we can be is to understand our strengths and weaknesses and to see how those strengths and weaknesses match with our interests in life. Mm. So what is learning styles? What does that mean? You mentioned that that's a very important part of the work you do. So what does that mean? Well, many times a client will come to me and say, I can't do math. So that rules out so many careers. So part of not doing math is understanding why they can't do math, but what they can do. So it's about helping people understand what they can do and also what they can't do, because then they do want to try and work around that as much as possible and focus on what they do love to do and what they can enjoy. So a career counseling isn't someone's coming in and just saying, I want to be an astronaut and, but I hate, but I'm I'm going to be an astronaut. Like you'd be very realistic with not that people can't be an astronaut. If you want to be an astronaut, people that are listening, that's great. But you, you, part of your work is to help people really assess in an honest way. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And maybe what are their areas for improvement from the, from the get-go? 
Absolutely. And to see how their natural aptitudes and their academic performance. So we'll look at report cards, we'll see where they've thrived, why they've thrived, what kind of classes they do best in, do they do better in smaller classes or bigger classes? And how, do, how does that match with some of their dreams? Mm -hmm. And I start when I'm working with a client, um, looking at their occupational daydreams. What have they, since they were little, what have they thought about? And we're looking for the threads because those threads are very important. And so we then will do interest inventories. That's assuming that a client wants it. I okay. want you to personalize the career and educational planning process that I use to each client. So not everybody who comes to see me gets the same process, but I have tools and I'm happy to talk about that in a minute um, to help people figure out what would be the best educational and career direction for them. So work me through it on a broad level here. Somebody comes in to speak and you want to focus on a few areas. Number one, you mentioned are, it seems like the number one thing is what are their dreams? So that's having them verbalize or at least in writing, really share what they think about, what they care about, what's interesting to them, what's been interesting to them as a theme in their life. Absolutely. And I like to start there. You like to start there. Because that's the biggest picture, right? Like that's what's possible for you. What's possible for you. And then how is that different than the interests? Well, we then will put a plan together and I show each client. I just also would like to say that I start with students usually from grade 11 up. Mm, okay. Or 16 there it's early and the careers course, which everybody has to take in Ontario is in grade 10. Right. So for the most part, my practice starts with people who are 16 and up. Mm. And then I work with people at every decade. So I see a lot of people making career shifts, certainly during COVID and so on. But let's say we're focusing on young people who are in career trans transition from post-secondary to what they're going to do after high school. I would meet with them, let them see the process, and then, and I'll talk to that, but then set goals from seeing the process. So the process usually takes about four or five sessions, which is to look inwards first and do some interest inventories mm -hmm. where they get to really start thinking about what are they interested in and how do those interests correspond to career options and educational options. From there, we then go and look at programs because once they've sort of identified, do are they interested in science? Are they interested in business? Are they interested in a helping profession? Are they interested in working with their hands and maybe doing a trade? Whatever it is, we then can start to look at programs, but it's targeted. It's not just random. And I don't say to them before they've done their interest inventories, have you thought about, because I really want each client to look inwards and figure out what are they interested in? And it's very exciting to watch people and they really respond to having a chance to answer the questions. So I'll go through inventories with them as opposed to just giving them and then bringing the, just the end result back. And so then I'm learning more about them as they're completing it. Right. And so, they are getting an opportunity to pause time at a very crucial part of their life. Let's say they're transitioning into university. 
And up until university, most people are basically following the set path of their, of that's been laid in front of them. Nobody really has a choice for the most part. And I know that at 16, technically you can leave high school, but most people don't have a choice where they're born, what world they grew up in, what their family's like, what their, what's the fact that they go to school, that they take courses. There are minor decisions that people have to make, let's say between taking maths and sciences in high school, but those are pretty much as well kind of reversible in a certain sense it's not too late so to speak but once you get to university and 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 maybe i'm part of what the problem is that i just said is once you get to university who's to say that everybody's going to need to go to university um because you've got as you mentioned you're going to look at interests you're going to look at natural skills you're going to look at the the conglomerate of of a person have them really reflect it could it be the case that wow maybe university is not the right way for me to go Absolutely. I'm so glad you said that. So part of the process is to look at their values. What do they value? What would be a criteria for a post-secondary institution? So it could be a college program. It could be a joint college university program. It, whatever. There's so many choices today. And so when you talk about does everybody want to go? No, everybody doesn't want to go and not everybody's meant to go. And so some people just really want to get into the workplace. And so I've had clients where they left high school, went to the workplace, and maybe later on decided they want to pick up some more skills and some more education and then go. So, yes, I really try to personalize this self-exploration to each person. Okay. The other piece of the puzzle is looking at their personalities because some people really want to stay home and want to just you know, maybe not be in big classes and have smaller experiences and so on. Other kids are saying, I just have to get away, but I don't want to be too far away. So it's all about their personal style and what kind of campus environment they would best thrive in. And that's an important piece to take into the planning. So really in in summary, the exploratory stage plus the practical exploration is just an opportunity for somebody what career counseling could be for somebody is to focus with one person who's giving them all the attention to explore all the options from lifestyle to interest, to personality, to values, to career directions, to programs, to places. You're taking a a huge, huge set of data that they're finally stopping and not just going on to the next thing. They're pausing, taking that time before they go out there and make decisions, which have financial implications, have career and all these implications. And it's like, you are this opportunity for them to pause in time and, and really think through slower, verbalizing what is going on, organizing their thoughts and feelings and interests and values and directions and all that stuff. And hopefully at the end of that process, they can come up with a place that they are happy to go to, that they are happy to start with. Is that kind of what it looks like in a way? Absolutely. So the first phase is doing all of that and coming right. up with a summary of two or three or four educational programs of interest. And usually I try to encourage my clients to break it into different groupings. So sometimes somebody wants to do, let's say a bachelor of arts and maybe they want an art history, but they're also interested in design. And so they might want to think about doing design. So that would be another grouping. And then they're sort of interested in the business of design and art and business might be an option for them. So I like them to sort of break it down into three different groupings 
and then start to go out and check out the universities or the colleges, the campuses, so that they can see before they apply what it really feels like for them to be on those campuses, to meet some professors, to go to sessions, and really be able to make informed choices. Right. It's really, especially people are so young. And what I think is kind of, um, I don't know if sad is the right word, but you take a career counseling course when you're 15 or 16. It's kind of not a serious thing. Maybe for some people, they get a lot out of it. I, I, I don't want to minimize that. But it's a bit early. And I know that you like to start in grade 11, but it's a bit early because it's not personalized. It's very generalized. Maybe there's some workshops or something. But for the most part, you're not getting that attention to detail and that singular focus. And I just wonder if that's something that, you know, on a systemic level would be very interesting if students were able to do that. Every student was able to give themselves that time. You mentioned something like even four or five hours could make a difference. Absolutely. So... And I guess that's kind of an issue that I don't know how can be resolved on, on, a, on a broader level, other than maybe there's great prompting questions for people. Maybe there's a peer way to do some of the work, even though it's not going to be the same. But essentially, that's your work. That's your role in people's journey. And what's it like to see that? What's it like to help people find their place in the world? It feels so good because I'm now I've been doing it for over 30 years. And I'm actually starting to work with second generation people that I've worked with and uh, hearing the feedback, you know, many years later is, is exciting. Um, and I also want to add that in doing the process, I always say to my clients, I'm not a conduit to your parents. This is a gift from them to you. But I really encourage having a family meeting before the information gathering starts so that the parents can go with them to campuses, can recommend people that are in the fields of, of their interest to talk to, and that they can be a part of the journey. But the, the client has had a chance to find their own voice. And that's what's so important with this, is that each young person gets a chance to really, with a, a clean slate, think about what is it that they want to do and how could they get there? Right, they're, they're obviously, thankful and connected to family and friends and institutions who can give them good advice and help them. But there's this almost independence piece that they need to come into, which is take responsibility for their own life and their own decisions. And maybe you kind of represent that opportunity for people as somebody who sees them, not, you didn't know everything about them. You don't know what they were like when they were seven, eight, nine, and 10, and you want to learn some of it, but you see them differently than maybe other people are seeing them because you're more fresh and their opportunity to share with you is like their latest update of who they are. And together that combination is really healthy. It seems like. Absolutely. And I'm very encouraging and I want to be in the whole approach of positive psychology and positive intelligence. You know, I really encourage young people to go after what it is they want to do. I try to be realistic around courses. And so let's say, for example, a young person has not taken sciences since grade 10. And now they're starting to think about programs of study where you need sciences. I will then encourage them to take either a gap year or to take the summer or whatever and start to pick up those sciences to see if in fact they could handle them and it would be appropriate to go in that direction. You know, they're young 
And I always say, you know, you don't have to have this all figured out at 17 or 18. Keep your options open. And if not now, when? And it seems like a very important point that came out. And I want to mention two things. But one is that, yes, they're meeting with you then. But maybe it's really helpful to have that check-in from year to year to reevaluate. Don't do it once. And then, it, you know, you've come out with something. And I think that's really interesting is that I've interviewed people. I love interviewing people. And I had this idea that I worked with. I did a lot of interviews with the elderly um, and helping them clarify their life values, talk about their life stories. But I started doing that, too, um, with younger people. And I've done it with uh, a couple of people that I, uh, I won't mention names, of course, where I've interviewed them once at 18 about certain things. And then, and then they have the archive of their thoughts at that time. And then a year later, I interviewed them and they can review the old one, look at the next one. And it seems like you can have this ongoing relationship with the evaluation, but you can both be the starting place for that. And of course, the continuity as they go forward, um, which is really interesting. But I wanted to ask you something about the science. What came to mind for me, you mentioned math earlier as well, is that there are people, for example, if you want to go into med school or if you want to go into some field where mathematics is needed, sometimes universities require things that you need in short term, but in terms of the career, you don't really need. So what would you say to somebody who's struggling with math, who's not necessarily good at it or naturally like picking up on it, but if they really push themselves they'd be able to either pass or get an appropriate grade that would get them to the further place that they want to get to. How do you navigate that with them where maybe the pathway is very long and not necessarily always related to what they want to do, but it's going to take them somewhere that they want to go? I would totally encourage them to go for it. And if they need a tutor to get a tutor, whatever it takes to get over the barrier. And so that's a part of my counseling too. What kind of barriers are in your way? How can we get around them? A barrier is something to get around. Right. So never feel stuck or trapped. And, you know, listen, people do have natural aptitudes. And sometimes it is pretty hard to get over if there's a, a math real difficulty. But I still encourage them to try. And if they try and then they can see, you know what, it's not worth it, then they move on to something else. There are so many choices and so many options and I've seen people overcome so many barriers in their life. It's an astounding how capable people are. So I think it's about having that focus of where you want to go. And then if a person is determined, usually they can make it happen. And so it's helping people tap into that resourcefulness because you probably get a lot of assessments. You probably get their psychoed assessment. If there's a learning disability, you probably get a mental health assessment. If there's a mental health disorder, and you have to take all that data as well and help them figure out how they're going to relate, how they're going to relate to the world, given what they're experiencing. Absolutely. And I say that that data is not a label, but it's about helping them to get the accommodations they need in post-secondary institutions, be it college or university or wherever they go, to be able to level the playing field and be able to show what they know and to be able to get extra time for exams, write in a quiet place, take a reduced course load, get note takers, use technology for reading texts and so on. So whatever it is, having that information is helpful. It's not about trying to make them feel uncomfortable with a label, but saying, let's use that to help you get where you wanna go. And so 
Speaking of, you know, working with people trans, there's so many different age groups. You mentioned starting in grade 11. You probably work with people that are in the older, maybe they're in their PhD. Um, I know my business partner, Simon, is very interested in helping people think about life outside of academia for people that have been there for years and feel like there's not a lot of options and choices. Um, they've been doing a PhD. They're very invested. What do they do? Um, but talking about the transition from high school to whatever's next, whether right. it's a college program, university, get a job, take a gap year, you probably meet with people, not just at the beginning when it's maybe ideal, but maybe after they've already done an undergrad or after two years in a program that's not right for them or whatever in the third year or in the fourth year, what do you, what do these people often feel like they were missing at the time that maybe led them to get to where they were? Or a better way to ask it is, what do you want students to know that or to consider or to explore or to learn about before university starts, before their college program starts, before they make these decisions that they would have been really happy if they knew at the time? That's a really interesting question. And I am actually working with somebody right now who's doing a shift and she made a choice of one university for a set of reasons, wanting to go with friends and so on, and then decided after two years that that wasn't the best decision. So the earth is still rotating and people transfer all the time. So I would certainly encourage young people to know that you can always transfer from one university to another, that you're not stuck if you make a decision to attend one institution and then it doesn't feel right. So I think knowing that there's options at every juncture is really important. It's not always that easy, but you know, again, when there's a will, there's a way. Sometimes you have to actually take some courses through the continuing ed programs in a university you want to transfer to, to prove to them that you're a strong student at their school before you can actually transfer. So sometimes there's some detours, but you can get there. And so I say it's really important to try and take the time before you apply to post meet with you and we'll get your your information on the on, online but to take the time <laughs> to that thinking so you can make an informed choice but for whatever reasons if it wasn't the right choice so then you reevaluate and switch switch paths it's really important to know that you never stuck that there's always a way to transfer your credits, to build on what you've done, and ultimately it makes you stronger because you're putting all that thoughtfulness into it. So there's more, whatever you've decided, you're starting out, whatever you've decided, it's okay to evaluate, reevaluate, and, and maybe decide to do something else. It doesn't mean you give up right away, you give it time, you can explore, but you want people to know that there are other things that you could do other than what you've chosen already. For sure. Okay, that's awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share with us about that? It's a long journey. I mean, I do see people at all different stages, midlife, in their 30s, in their 40s, you know, that want to make a very big change, but they can make the big change and transfer their skills. We haven't talked about skills too much because with younger people, it's hard to develop too many skills when you've been basically in high school and, you know, summer jobs have not been that many. Uh, but once people have been out in the workplace and they've started to build a resume, then really is the time to reevaluate what their skills are in addition to their natural aptitudes and academic strengths 
and then start to think about, okay, where do they want to use those skills? So let's say something like writing. You can take writing and put it into every profession. And so if a person wants to shift in the kind of writing they're doing, or maybe not as much writing and more working directly with people or working behind the scenes, whatever it is, it's easy to do that by taking the time again to assess where they're at, assess what their strengths are, and then to see, do they need to go back and get a little bit more education? Do they need to develop some more skills? And would they do that at a college or university or wherever they would get those skills? But again, the process is look inwards, figure out what it is, then go and talk to people who are doing the kind of work they wanna do, and then figure out what would make them marketable at their stage in life and, and in the area they wanna go into. So a skills evaluating and it's harder, of course, at the beginning. So I think that's a really important thing to think about in general, as you're developing skills, how you can apply them. Most skills from marketing or social media, literacy, whatever can be applied to a million different places. Absolutely. They're really marketable skills because everybody needs them today, wants people to be able to put them on social media. I guess... One more question here as, we, as we're finishing up this interview. Um, things have, in terms of social media, in terms of screen time, in terms of, you know, people's lives being a bit more public, let's say, as an example, people are looking all the time at what other people are doing, et cetera, et cetera. Have you noticed a change when you're working with people um, about the impact of social media, of screen time? Has it, has it impacted any of your work and how people do the work? An interesting question. I don't think I've seen it directly impacting because when I'm working with young people, that's all they've known. The kids who are 17, 18, right? The social media has been there for them. Um, no, I think though that some people, some older people, I'm finding kids or people who are in their late 20s and 30s are getting a little bit of tired of social media so much and they're trying to pull back from it. Uh, that was sort of as much as I see around the, the social media piece. But certainly there's so much information everywhere. And I encourage people to use it. Use that information to help them figure out what they want. And uh, from one of the social medias that I think is very interesting from your work is LinkedIn. What do you recommend for people right now that maybe don't have a LinkedIn? Is it, is it something that you find helpful for, for people to start to do? What, what's your experience with that? I think LinkedIn is fabulous, actually. And that has definitely grown. There's courses to take on LinkedIn, skills courses. Again, I encourage kids, let's say they're graduating from university or they're in university and they're starting to look for summer jobs. We haven't spoken too much of that. I definitely encourage young people to build their resumes by the time they're in second or third year of some kind of program that they're in and try to get jobs that are related to the field they wanna be in. And then to be able to have a LinkedIn profile and start to post that. And so the people who are on LinkedIn looking to hire can see that they're out there. I think it's important. So it's a, just a very, again, just a proactive approach. Um, you talked about summer jobs. So maybe one thing that people can also think about is how they're going to use their summers. Um, summers, especially for people transitioning into college and university programs, have big summers. 
There's lots of time available. Some people can do courses. That's one thing that they can do. But you're saying the other thing is don't just look for any job and, and hold on. People that like to do things like summer camp, there's so many intangible, positive skills that can work for so many different fields. So, but, and I'm sure you know that um, people love that stuff, but just in general, people should start getting intentional when they're looking for jobs, not just to necessarily find a job just because you need a job, but to really direct your mind somewhere with, with your job search. Exactly. And to start immersing yourself in the field. And summer camp can do that for a lot of people who want to perhaps be in a helping profession or a teaching profession or something where they're working with young people, with children and adolescents. So I think summer camp can be great and it can be fun for them as well. For somebody, let's say, who wants to be in a more science-oriented area or engineering or banking, I would say by second or third or fourth year, you certainly want to be getting those experiences. Okay. So people that are really into camp, maybe you can, and there's four month summers, maybe you can swing it around that you need that comic relief or that, that break into another world. Um, But just in general, people should be really intentional about the kind of jobs. And within that, what you just said is that people should network and reach out, contact people that they know, speak to their maybe older siblings, older friends, not be afraid to reach out to professors. I think that's a, a huge one that I think about. Um, building relationships with your teach with your teachers is incredible. They might give you reference letters. They might really help you understand yourself better. So they're kind of like allies on the journey as well. I agree. Noah, you're saying everything 110%. I'm working with a lot of people right now trying to get references from professors. And some professors have said no if they didn't know the students. So... I definitely would encourage people to get to know the professors, go in for, for time. And I realize with Zoom and COVID, it's been very difficult, but wherever they can start to build some relationships with different professors where they're really enjoying their course and feel that it's something that they are learning a lot from and want to talk to that professor more, do it. Because when it is time to apply to grad schools and uh, post grad programs, you really want to have those references to draw on. And you also learn to deal with maybe the anxiety of talking to people like that, of reaching out and making those connections and feeling maybe you're going to be judged or whatever. Like, I just want to say for myself, the fact that I reached out, I actually was very explicit. And sometimes I encourage people in my practice, you can actually ask your professors at the beginning of the semester. You don't need to play a game where it's like you become like, let me talk to you. You can actually say, you know, I'm really interested in this field. I really do want to meet with you and talk about it. I would love to know how you, like what kind of things that people do to get reference letters from you. One of my professors told me people have to write this. There's like an option in one of the courses. You can either write an exam or an essay. And this person said, if you write the essay and you get a certain, you do a certain level of, you do well on it or whatever. I give people reference letters based on that. So you can even be explicit with what you want. You don't need to just like kind of sweet talk your way in there and get relationships with them. But again, I guess it requires facing, facing your fears. So is there anything, I, first of all, I tried to cram in all of career counseling in a half an hour, and maybe we'll be lucky enough to have you on another time to be more specific about certain issues that our students are having um, and people that are engaging in our content are having. But I do thank you so much for just spreading it out and trying to reach as many places as possible um, with this interview. Is there anything one like last word of hope that you want to mention for people that are really not sure where they want to go right now in terms of their next step. 
Absolutely. First of all, stay hopeful. Know that there are so many choices and options and that there is a systematic way to go about exploring them. What we've been talking about today, and I'm always happy to go more in depth, but that by looking inwards and looking at where they're at and what they're really interested and then going out and as you say, developing a network, talking to people, talking to people isn't the easiest for everybody. Certainly I start with my clients going online. There's wonderful websites. The NOC website, which is the National Occupational Classification website, is a great place to learn about the world of work and it's divided into 10 different career groupings. And you can read about different occupations. And within seconds, you're getting information about what employment requirements, what courses do you have to have, what kind of education, and what's a day in the life. So that's a great site. And then there's an American site called ONET which you just put in, I wanna be a, a fireman and you right away can find out what does a fireman do and what are the requirements. How do you spell that? Onet, onet.org, O-N-E-T.org. Onet.org. Stay hopeful, explore. There's so many things that you could possibly do. Get very practical, go systematic. If you wanna find, we're gonna link up uh, Jane's information for everybody, for anybody who wants to, to, to explore with her. Um, and we're just so thankful that you came on and, and helped our, our, our audience. It was my pleasure. I look forward to talking to you again. And of course, a disclaimer, this podcast in all of our mental health learning and educational content is not therapy and is not a replacement for therapy. Please seek professional help if needed. Go to www.resolve with two Vs.ca to get the support you need. And that's all for now. We hope this was helpful in some small way. If you like our content, please subscribe and give us a five star review wherever you are listening. Make sure to keep updated with all of our content on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. And of course, Come check us out at www.resolve, that's resolve with two Vs, .ca to learn more about how our services can support your needs. Till next time, take care. Theme song for this podcast is done by the band Mokuse no Maguro in their song, Midnight Empty Street.